morning. I'm Annika Kolber. It's Thursday, October 28th, med school during a pandemic. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. New coronavirus cases in California have flattened after a two-month surge in cases. Right now, California boasts the lowest infection rate in the nation. But Governor Gavin Newsom is urging caution as state models predict a gradual increase in hospitalizations next month amid the holiday season. Currently, 88 percent of those 18 and older in California have received at least one dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. But that still leaves millions who are not vaccinated. San Diego County public health officials are increasing efforts to get county residents flu shots before the flu season gets further along. It takes about two weeks after vaccination to develop protection against the flu. The vaccine is covered by most health insurances, but if you don't have insurance, you can get a flu shot at one of the county's six public health centers. The number of flu cases in the county remains relatively low thus far, but health experts believe this season will be more severe than last year. Another recall effort is underway, this time in Poway, against Mayor Steve Voss. The recall drive, called Save Poway, started on Wednesday. Recall leader Christopher Olps says their reasons for recalling the mayor include development projects they claim are questionable. You know, at the end of the day, it's about removing a mayor who's not listening. When we say, yes, affordable housing, and you get market rate housing, and you get no community parks, and you get no community involvement in that process, uh, there's a big disconnect. Voss declined an interview but issued a written statement calling the recall phony and urging people not to sign the petition. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. The San Diego County Health Department reports more than 365,000 people in the San Diego region have been infected with COVID-19 since the pandemic began. That created enormous challenges for doctors and other medical professionals across the medical world. But what about students who were just entering into medical school, like UC San Diego, as the coronavirus ravaged communities and crippled hospitals? KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez has their story. This is the sound of doctors practicing medicine. At least a dozen of them working with support staff and experienced colleagues. Some of these doctors are second-year students from the UC San Diego Medical School. The classroom on this particular Wednesday evening is the free clinic housed in rooms and an auditorium at Pacific Beach United Methodist Church. 
Justine Panian is the designated clinic general manager. She's a second-year medical student who survived her first-year program, gripped in the chaos of COVID-19. It was just really inspiring seeing everybody really unite in order to address this pandemic. It really showed me that you didn't have to be directly in the front lines in order to fight the pandemic. They didn't let it stop them from being incredible medical students. Dr. Natalie Rodriguez is the UCSD associate clinical professor and mentor to these students. She was a young medical student herself when she started volunteering at the free clinic 20 years ago. 13 years ago, she became the attending physician who now beams with pride when talking about her students. They bring their enthusiasm, their compassion, their passion, their innovation, especially this past year with COVID. The only time Justin was ever in the hospital was for his birth. Okay. Dr. Rodriguez and her students are back to in-person classes on the UCSD campus this fall after a year of distance learning, the critical first year of medical school. Sometimes it can help to dim the light in the room that might make the baby more likely to open their eyes. Morgan is happy to finally be in person and in community with her other classmates who also trudged through a year of Zoom classes. Morgan preferred to give only her first name as she shared personal memories and her experience, like the first day of medical school at home. Our education was, some people would say, disrupted in that we value all of the clinical work that we have just so much. It's like working at the free clinic, getting to see a patient, um, getting to do a physical, it does just make you appreciate the opportunities that you have um, when you understand that they could be taken away and that they could have been very different. Despite the challenge, second year student Irvi Gupta never gave up hope. After spending the first critical year of medical school in distance learning, she also dealt with the devastation caused by COVID-19 in her family's home country of India. If anything, she says the experience will make her a better doctor. No matter what the media and what the platform, our first priority is always just making the patients feel comfortable and making sure we're providing excellent care. And so I think this past year has shown us that no matter what the situation that we're put in, we can do that. The COVID shutdown did not stop the Wednesday weekly free clinic in Pacific Beach. And these then first-year students also encountered a sudden lesson in social justice. We had just come off of the Black Lives Matter protests and it really just exploded this entire introspection into racial injustice and just health equity. In fact, the racial divide triggered in 2020 inspired the creation of a new enhanced health equity curriculum at the UCSD Medical School, engaging students in how to treat people of different beliefs and backgrounds. Dr. Rodriguez could not be more proud of their accomplishments. It just gives me so much hope for the future of medicine, knowing that they're going to go out there and make such a difference in the world and in healthcare. That's some good medicine we can all use. And that was KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez. Opioid overdoses have spiked throughout San Diego County, and Narcan is a medication that can reverse an overdose if administered in time. A North County man has made it his mission to distribute Narcan to people experiencing homelessness. KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne introduces us to Narcan Nate. 
I made an announcement like, oh, it's Narcan Nate, and then, you know, just everybody just took off with it. Nathan Smitty is better known as Narcan Nate these days. That's because he trains like people that, on administering Narcan and distributes the medication Narcan, free of charge. Um, so I'm giving two or three kits out, sometimes four to a person, and they're, and they're going through it um, faster than I can get to them. But he wasn't always an advocate for harm reduction. I overdosed for the first time when I was 19 in front of, in front of most of my family. Um, and they really like didn't know what to do. Smitty had a spiraling battle with drug use. He's originally from Tennessee, but a treatment center brought him to North County. He is now 29 and will be three years sober on Thursday. Now he is a North County liaison for the organization A New Path, Parents for Addiction Treatment and Healing. They supply him with the Narcan he distributes. And it happens every day where people just walk away because they don't, they, you know, they're not educated on on the laws or how to respond or, you know, or they don't have Narcan, it's not available to them. And so, and so that's like the big reason why I do this. The Narcan that Nate distributes comes in these single dose nasal sprays. And although small, they are powerful and could determine life or death on someone experiencing an opioid overdose. In the last 10 weeks, 46 lives have been saved from Nate's Narcan distribution. And, and this person had the death rattle. Um, it's a sound that you can really never forget. It's fluid in the lungs, struggling to breathe eyes peeled in the back of his head, blue. Um. This person has saved someone from overdosing with Narcan he got from Smitty. He didn't want to share his identity. I administered, I think, I administered Narcan, waited a couple minutes, nothing was happening. He probably wasn't breathing for like, I wanna say like four minutes. So we ended up administering two more, so three total, he came back. Smitty gives training and Narcan to anyone that requests it. But most of his Narcan supply goes to the homeless community at the shower events he attends. Smitty says homeless people are one of the groups with the least access to Narcan due to its cost. You, you could go to the pharmacy. Um, if you don't have insurance, it's a pretty hefty, hefty price to pay. It's a, like a hundred and something dollars, and that's through GoodRx, so that's with the, even with the discount. Smitty does have critics who say his Narcan distributions enable drug use. Uh, to them, he says. You know, I'm like helping giving them a second chance is what I'm doing. Like you can't recover if you're dead. All of Smitty's work is voluntary and he doesn't get paid for transportation. So he has started a GoFundMe to help him expand. I, I would like to be mobile. I would like to have a van and have like a mobile distribution because I right now I'm covering like just a couple mile radius in Oceanside and that's where those those lives have been saved at. And that was reporting from KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne. On Wednesday, Mayor Todd Gloria announced a commitment to net zero carbon emissions by 2035. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen has more on what that really means. Net zero emissions means what it sounds like. When you do the math on the city's emissions, it comes out to zero. So San Diego will probably still be burning fossil fuels through gas-powered cars and buildings, but all those emissions would be offset by removing greenhouse gases from the atmosphere. Gloria says the goal can be achieved with a more aggressive shift away from cars, in favor of biking, walking, and public transit, and with tougher renewable energy standards for newly constructed buildings. Our region faces severe threats from extreme heat, wildfires, drought, flooding, and sea level rise. San Diegans see it around them every single day. We experience it, we know what's happening, and we have to take action to prevent it. 
The city's climate action plan already requires a 50% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions by 2035. The more aggressive goal of net zero emissions would be legally enforceable, meaning if the city misses its targets, it could be sued. San Diego City Council member Sean Ila Rivera says climate action is often framed as a burden, but that there's a lot more for people to gain. With equitable climate action, we can improve communities so all residents can get to school and work and run errands without a car. We can provide for park space in every neighborhood. We can ensure clean air is not just for wealthy areas, but for all residents. The city council will begin its review of the mayor's proposal next month. And that was KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen. Mexican officials in Sonora are claiming success in a cloud-seeding effort carried out in the state over the summer. From the Fronteras desk in Hermosillo, KJZZ's Murphy Woodhouse reports. As in many parts of Arizona, Sonora enjoyed a wet monsoon season, a welcome change from last year's disappointing summer that left many in the state's critical agricultural sector desperate. Federal and state officials are chalking some of that up to cloud seeding. 17 flights were made over an area of several million acres in Sonora, over which 1,500 liters of silver iodide were dropped, according to a state release. Leading up to the monsoon season, nearly the entire state was experiencing extreme or exceptional dryness. Now, none of the state is, with about 20 percent at moderate or severe levels. Reservoirs have also rebounded from historically low levels that came close to compromising Hermosillo's access to drinking water. And that was KJZZ's Murphy Woodhouse reporting from Hermosillo. As early as December, non-citizens in San Francisco will get a permanent voice in some city elections. From KALW in Oakland, Suni Khalid reports. The San Francisco Board of Supervisors voted unanimously Tuesday to permanently extend non-citizen voting in school board elections. They're reauthorizing a charter amendment originally approved by voters in 2016. Supervisor Connie Chan authored the new legislation. It confirms that non-citizens will be able to vote in the upcoming recall elections of three members of the San Francisco Unified School District's Board of Education in February. Tuesday's vote comes amid a growing movement to expand non-citizen voting rights across the country. Since San Francisco became the first city to do so in 2016, 11 additional municipalities in Maryland and Vermont have approved legislation allowing non-citizen residents to vote in local or school board elections. According to data from the San Francisco think tank Spur, nearly one-third of the city's 60,000 public school students have an immigrant parent, though many are already citizens. And that was Suni Khalid reporting from KALW in Oakland. Coming up, COVID-19 vaccines for kids ages 5 to 11 could be approved by the FDA as early as next week. We have an interview with a local expert on the impact of that decision here in San Diego. That's next, just after the break. Long ago, when the public square was the only place to share news, events, and happenings, people were drawn to it. Living in community with others was the route to understanding each other and the world around us. The public square has changed dramatically, but our need to learn and understand one another has it. This is Port of Entry. The park read its project. 
listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie. Thank you for listening to KPBS Podcast and for being part of our region's virtual public square, where you learn not only about the headlines of the day, but about culture, music, and the issues that are important to all of us. Help keep the virtual square alive and well. Support podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. And thanks again. A key FDA advisory panel has recommended a lower dose of the Pfizer vaccine for the nation's 28 million children ages 5 to 11. A decision from the agency is expected within days. Roughly 300,000 unvaccinated children in that age group live here in San Diego. That makes the recent authorization a major step forward in efforts to contain the COVID-19 pandemic. Dr. Eric Topol is director of the Scripps Research Translational Institute in La Jolla. He spoke with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman. Here's that interview. So can you break down this final authorization process for us? What needs to happen before parents can sign their kids up for their doses? Well, it won't be long now, anticipating the first week of November when we have final go-ahead for these 5 to 11-year-olds to get the 10 micrograms Pfizer dose. And then also in the queue is the Moderna vaccine. So that is a higher dose of the mRNA, half of the adult dose. And that is a a, a bigger trial, almost twice the size. And so we're expecting that one to also get approved sometime in the month of November. Is vaccinating this younger age group one of the final pieces in getting through this pandemic? Well, it's certainly an essential part of building our Delta immunity wall and then potentially subsequent versions of the virus because we're well short of the population level immunity that we need to block this virus, to get prevent the chain of spread that isn't just among children, but of course, uh, adults as well. So children are an important part. They're a vector or a conduit in this process. And so even though most children, if they got COVID, would get through it okay, some will get quite ill. And also, I think what's important to not forget is that those who get a COVID infection can be affected with the so-called long COVID, that is chronic symptoms. Not as frequent as adults, but still it can occur. And then most importantly, this transmission chain that we can block. So if we can get a good portion of those 28 million children of this age group uh, vaccinated, it's going to really help a lot to get the U.S. and San Diego in great shape. And if you could, you know, what key data findings were reviewed by the panel with regards to side effects and efficacy for children? Well, the side effects uh, were similar as to adults and teens. Uh, they're really the, the same sort of thing as a local reaction, arms uh, discomfort, uh, and you know, fatigue and other symptoms that are kind of a mild flu case that can last a day or two. So the symptoms are, and the side effects are very similar. Can parents expect eventual approval of the vaccine for children under five? And if so, what's the timeline on that? That's the last step. So this isn't the last one. There's one more group. Uh, That one is not going to be probably until early next year because uh, those trials uh, in even younger children are ongoing. Health officials are currently monitoring a sub-variant of Delta known as Delta Plus. Should this be a cause of concern? 
the nomenclature is AY.4.2, not to get too fancy, but it's about 10% of the cases in the UK, but it has very little change in mutations from the original Delta strain. Uh, I just don't see it as a, a threat because Delta is so hyper contagious and there's minimal changes in this structure of this virus uh, strain or, or uh, variant to make it any worse than Delta. We're going to have a, hopefully, uh, not see anything worse than Delta. Right now, it's taken over the whole world as far as the dominant strain. It's going to be tough for another virus version to overtake it. I don't see this one as the one that could do that. While overall cases are down since the September surge, we are seeing a slight uptick in deaths nationally. What does this say about how we're handling the fourth wave of this pandemic? Well, we certainly haven't handled it as well as we could have. I mean, San Diego's done fairly well, but if you look around the country, there's still a lot of deaths, over 1,500 per day, as you noted. And it's partly because we didn't vaccinate the high-risk people nearly as well as other countries. Many countries got people over age 60, 65, 99% vaccinated. We're well short of that. And those are the people who are accounting for a large proportion of the deaths. So we have had to deal with anti-vaccine, anti-science, hesitancy, misinformation, all these factors that have prevented the high-risk people from getting vaccinated. In addition, we have the problem of waning immunity, those who are out more than six months, where if they are in a high-risk group, such as over age 50 or 60, they are the ones that are getting sick and some of them getting hospitalized. So we've got to get the boosters in those people as soon as possible once they've reached around that six-month time frame. And as you mentioned, many Americans still remain unvaccinated ahead of the holidays. What guidance would you give to those who are vaccinated about being around unvaccinated people? This is a concern because, as everyone knows, you could have the virus and not ever be symptomatic or be happening before you develop the symptom and spread it. And even vaccinated people at a lower level can do this. So if you're going to be getting together with people over the holidays, uh, this is a, a, a cause for concern. If you're in areas where there's very low circulating virus, where fortunately uh, in many parts of California, that's the case, it's not as much of a worry. But if you're in places like Montana and Idaho, Alaska, many places where the virus is still raging, it's all over the place, that would not be a good place to take any chances. Of course, if we have rapid tests, and you could get each person that you're going to get together with, with a rapid home test and know the answer in minutes, that would help add security and, and confidence. But a lot of those rapid tests are too darn expensive. They're not widely available. And this is another shortcoming of the U.S. strategy. Hmm. And, and I want to circle back to uh, parents with children under the age of five, since the vaccine for them could be much further down the line. What advice do you have uh, for them in terms of limiting exposure to those children under the age of five? Well, the, the, the children under the age of five shouldn't be a concern as long as the older children and the adults are vaccinated. The best protection we can have for the youngest is for everyone else in a household to get vaccinated. So if parents have not been vaccinated and they're worried about their young children, they better get it now. And also, if they are um, in a waning immunity category, that'd be another reason to stay maximally protected and get a booster shot. So 
it, there shouldn't be a concern for the youngest kids as long as household members are all vaccinated. That was Dr. Eric Topol, director of the Scripps Research Translational Institute in La Jolla. He was speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day.